What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. Immobilize it in order to suck it up into the, um, the syringe. And so what they do is they bonk it on the head, which stuns it. I don't know. I don't know where that came no. from. Hi. Hi. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. We're coming at you from the past Sunday. From a snowy Sunday. You guys, y'all, y'all. I don't know where you're listening from, but here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, we are under a snowfall warning, mm-hmm. and it has been snowing all day on this Sunday. It has. And yesterday was gorgeous and sunny yeah. and summer. Yep. And Which I just how she goes. Yeah. The audacity. Right? Mother Nature, get it together. Yeah, not great. And by the time people are listening to this, you're going to be locked away in a hotel. <laughs> I don't want to say enjoying, but you'll be partaking in a griefcation. Griefcation <laughs> um, Yes, I'm excited. Okay. I have... I have my little sticky note here of things I need to pack mm-hmm. and things I'm going to do while mm-hmm. I'm gone. Yeah. Going to listen to some podcasts, listen yeah. to some books. Yeah. Like about grief. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've heard they make podcasts about, other, about things other than true crime. I don't quite believe it, but. I thought we were the only one. I thought so too, but I'm going to find out that I guess there are different more ones. Different more ones? Different more ones. More. more. Shooketh. Shooketh. I am shooketh. Uh, yeah. I'm going to do some yoga. Oh. Yeah, because my friend Holly does yoga, and she yeah. sent me over a bunch of her recordings, and I haven't done them all, so I'll do some while I'm there. Oh. Right? So you're going to sleep? I'm going to sleep. In a bed with no children? I can't talk about sleeping too much, because I feel like if I do, I'm not going to. Yeah, okay. No, don't like, worry about we're, it. We don't even need on. to, like... Skim right past yeah. it. Yeah. Like... And who's going to be talk about her? five children? An angel. (laughs) (laughs) My hero. It's me. It's you. I'm excited. I'm excited to get your kiddos for three days. Yeah, that'll be so fun. Um, I don't know what it means that Adrian asked if he could have a sleepover on those days. Oh, that's not nice. When did he say that? Like when when we told him what was happening. He's like, can I stay at Tom's? No, sir. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> well, I would be very offended if I were you. Yeah. It's because I it's because I do things like strict bedtimes and chores. Yeah. It's because you have rules and I don't. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, I try to be cool aunt, but yeah. also I run a tight ship. 
Just tell him that he's acting real sus <laughs> and do this. Bet. Bet. That's a new one. Bet. That's a bet. And then this is one, too. Yeah, but it's a podcast. We're an audio platform. Okay, so but it, it looks like you're shooting yourself It looks with like heroin. I'm shooting up. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, are these kids talking about drugs? Yeah. But apparently it means you've got ice in your veins. Oh, because like you're, you're cool? cold as ice. Cool. Like She's you're like. cold as ice. Isn't that a song? Bite your... <laughs> okay, so just for everybody who's not in this little closet with us right now, Michelle's biting her bottom lip, closing her eyes with her left arm extended, and her right hand has her index and middle finger pointed with the other three fingers curled, and it's like against the crook of your left arm. It's my elbow bend. Your elbow bend or crook. <laughs> Just go on TikTok, okay, and guys? Get with it. It means that you're as cold as ice. Apparently. Does that mean you're cool, or does that mean you? I think like, it means don't like you're give... cool under pressure, like you don't give a what, like. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Bet we have to stay on TikTok so we can keep up with all this stuff. And I'm, and there's another one now that they're going. She. Yeah. What I don't know. What is I have that? no idea. It's probably like yeet, but now it's she. I don't know. I don't know. I've never been like cool and into. Back in our day, it was Coolio. Coolio. I don't know, I don't know any of that. Yeah. Ones either. Rad. Also, we were part of the drama club, so we would just bust into like yeah, like tongue twisters. Yeah, we were so cool. Everyone was I'm jealous. I'm so tempted to do the one. Do it. The one Should that you it? always do. Yeah. I am the very mother model of, of a modern, modern major general. general. I've information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England, and I quote the fights historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. We did that every day as a warm-up. Yep. Yeah. Anywho. No. Anywho. To update everybody from last week, if you were listening, uh, I went and saw this space that is for rent for me to move. Mm -hmm. And it is is a home owned by two lovely ladies. Did you tell them about our podcast? I, no, I didn't. (laughs) But I'm going to be cautious because maybe one day I will. Yes. On account that I am moving there. You are! Yay! I am moving on May 1st. Please send taps. Thoughts and prayers. Taps? Taps. I need all the taps. What is a tap? Thoughts and prayers. Oh. T-A-P. Uh, so, <laughs> Lindsay and I went to go see it, and they asked they asked me to bring the two dogs that, because I am key, I'm mostly going to have two of my bigger dogs with me. They were like, bring the dogs. And I was like, ooh. And I was like, Henry does this fun thing where he can be kind of a jerk <laughs> when he meets new people and new dogs. Yeah. Because, I like, when I'm there. He's yeah. better when I'm not there. But that's not how this goes. <laughs> so Lindsay came for emotional support and to hold Henry's leash so that he was less likely to, like, act like a fool in front of me. Yeah. And we show up and it was just, like, something out of a sitcom. Like, it's this, like, lovely lesbian couple and I'll just call them the leans <laughs> and they had these two contractors there who were also two women from the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. They were both named Sue and they were sort of like constructing a separate entrance for this suite and it's a basement suite, but in the lease, they call it a subterranean villa. I love that. It's yeah. so fancy. So I'm moving to a subterranean villa. That's amazing. I'm very happy for you. And, and yeah. then you got... You rented the U-Haul. I rented a (laughs) U-Haul. And on May 1st, I am moving and I am anxious. Yes. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm like anxious and I'm weird. 
Like it's, you are very weird. It's somebody's basement, and I get that I'm renting it. I am paying a price. Mm-hmm. It is my space, but it's shared laundry, mm-hmm. and I have decided I will not do my laundry there because I'm awkward. That is so weird, and I'm scared that like I'll be doing laundry, and then they'll need to do laundry, and then I'll be like, I'm so sorry, and I'll just take up my half-washed soaking wet clothes. <laughs> Like, they seem very reasonable, and I logically know that they wouldn't be like, get your clothes out of here. Oh, my gosh. So this is what Lindsay and I were talking about last night, about your weirdness, about not wanting to Mm -hmm. do your laundry. And I'm like, okay, you're one person. How many loads of laundry, realistically, do you think that you have? Like one load a week. Yeah, like one load. I know, but what if I do it on the day that they really need to? I, I mean, know. that's so illogical. I, I know. can't even. And I'm also, Lindy was like, oh, we should split up our Amazon because yeah. you'll probably want things delivered there. And I was yeah. like, I'm not changing my address. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm not, I don't want things arriving to their home. Do you think and she's that's like, maybe a little bit of like denial? About I don't know. But I, I like, I'll just, me and Lindy are very amicable. I'm yeah. just going to pick up stuff. My Amazon stuff will get delivered to her and I will go pick it up. Yeah. There. And then I'm also not going to order skip the dishes ever. I, I mean, that's not logical. That's not realistic. No, I'm never going to. <laughs> you gonna, are. No, because I don't. Like, what if they're in the backyard? Like, what do I tell this the skip person? Hey, I'm in a in a subterranean villa. You have to come around back. Or do I just go awkwardly wait on the front yard no, and wave down? When you the- order something in the drop-off instructions, you write... You think that you're the first person they've ever delivered food to in a basement suite? to a subterranean villa? Yes. And then what if the leans are out on their deck enjoying their night and my food comes? I mean, you'll obviously ruin the entire (laughs) week and they'll have to evict you, I guess. (laughs) This is the way my anxiety shows up. Like, I cannot. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just nervous. I'm just going to, like, sit quietly in the middle of the floor and try not to make any noise. I've also never lived in someone's basement like I've never rented I've never like I'm kind of a weirdo that way I just don't like to like take up space I don't want to take somebody's time I don't want to be a nuisance Carly who hurt you (laughs) well if you join the Patreon for five dollars you're gonna get some ideas of my past trauma I know and and kind of when Lindy was saying like oh yeah she's really anxious and I'm thinking about it I'm like yeah well you haven't lived alone no since I was like 22 yeah and and a lot of the moves that you've had to do in the past years have been trauma related. Yeah, like yeah, I like bought my condo, mm-hmm. moved out of my parents' house to my condo, lived by myself for 6 months, met a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Every move I had to make was because my safety was in jeopardy. Yes, exactly. So then, I can totally understand why yeah. moving is like yeah, it's got this like trauma attached to it. Yeah, so I'm just like real anxious about it. Yeah. I think what we should do is I'll come to your house. And what will happen? And I will just get you high. (laughs) (laughs) And Lindy and I will load the U-Haul. Yeah. And drive it over there with you, like, passed out in the back seat. Yeah, and just load me in. Yeah, and then you'll wake up or you'll, like, come to and you'll be in your new players. Or, like, okay, so Henry did really good on his visit. Yeah. You know, we did a lot of things to make it successful. Mm -hmm. What if it becomes unsuccessful? What if he barks all the time? What if he attacks their dog? What if he barks at them? <laughs> anyway, this is my it's anxiety. It's all going to work out. It's going to be great. We yep. need to get a therapist on this episode. <laughs> Stat. My God. Usually when you spiral like this or when I spiral, our first question is, so when's your next uh, yeah. appointment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not great. But we'll see. We'll update you yes. next week. So this week, 
starting on Saturday was the Canadian Infertility Awareness Week. Yes. And so national. We, yeah, I guess that's the Canadian, National right? Canadian Infertility <laughs> Awareness Week. And so yep. <laughs> we got to interview the lovely Kaylee McDonald, who mm-hmm. I am friends with, and she does some work with Fertility Canada. Yeah, it was just like kind of fortuitous timing that we got yeah. to interview her for this episode or this week. And um, and then another person. Candace. Yeah. So Candace sent us a message on Instagram and was so sweet saying she heard that we interviewed somebody about infertility and she told us about this company called Hope Anchors YYC. Yeah. So they are local to Calgary. Yeah. They started a company to help uh, with loved ones experiencing infertility, miscarriage, and infant loss to help show them that you love and care for them. So you can um, order things to send to friends or family members that you know who have experienced infertility, loss, um, and it's just a nice kind of way to support someone in their their grief. grief. So. It's, it's a great uh, organization. Hope Anchors YYC is their handle on Instagram. Yeah, I'll put it on our show notes there. Yeah. And then we'll, like, tag her in it. It looks really, really cute. And I think that's, like, that's such a nice sentiment because yes. we both have friends and you yourself have yep. experienced pregnancy loss and are going through grief. Yes. And you never know really, like, what to say, what to do. Yeah. You can only give somebody so many casseroles. True, yes. And, like, this, like sometimes you just want to send somebody, like, a care package. Yes. Just as, like, a little thinking of you. Yeah, it's it's just a great alternative to maybe flowers or, mm-hmm. yeah, frozen meals and things like that. So. Yeah, because I think, I don't, if anybody's ever lost a close loved one, mm-hmm. you learn really quickly that you get a lot of flowers and you don't know what to do with them. Yes. And then you just end up with a lot of dead flowers. Yes. And I know, like, well, we've had some family loss and... Yeah, your whole house fills up with these bouquets, and within mm-hmm. days they start going, and you're like, it's such a nice sentiment, and I know the feeling was nice, but oh yeah, like now you have to do something. I know. After my husband passed away, I ended up with so many flowers, and like the funeral flowers are yeah. gigantic. Yeah. So we gave a lot of them away to like my parents' neighbors mm-hmm. and things like that. Of course, it was wonderful to receive, but yeah, but this to is get just like a, a nice care package other option. You. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Especially during COVID, too. I mean, yeah. people can't see each other as much. So if they just send them a little something, that's yeah. very nice. Check them out. I wonder if she ships, like, internationally or across Canada. Yeah, I'm not sure. We can check out her. Yeah. Check out her page. Check it out. Yeah, but this episode is really uh, close to my heart mm-hmm. as well, as I know some of our listeners. And give it a listen, and hopefully her story helps. Yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy. Bye. Bye. Hello, Kaylee. Hi, Carling. Hi, Michelle. How are you guys? Hi. Good. How are you? You know, we're hanging in there. Yeah. Yeah. Middle of a pandemic. Yeah, it's been fun. (laughs) (laughs) When we started this podcast, we're like, ooh, our first few episodes should talk specifically about the pandemic. And now we're like, we're over it. (laughs) We're over it. I don't want to talk about the pandemic anymore, ever. If it could just stop being a thing, I'd be on with that. Mm -hmm. I think that like. Just it needs to be done. Yeah. You know how we've like banished the word moist? I think pandemic needs to go like the way of yeah. that word. <laughs> As she says it now, moist. <laughs> it's been a moist pandemic. Oh, God. <laughs> My God. Did you, guys see, 
Did you see that Justin Trudeau thing, the singing mo- or the speaking moistly? Yeah. Yes, that was. There are some good things that have come out of this pandemic, so and that is one of them. Ridiculous. That was one of the best parts. Yeah. <laughs> My God. So funny. Uh, well, we're super stoked to talk to you. You were one of the first people that we thought about interviewing when we thought of the idea of having a podcast. Mm-hmm. And we're just now getting around to it. And here I am. Yeah, but it works out pretty good because because we're we're interviewing you this month for this episode because it is um, this week is infertility awareness week. That's right. So this week, well, from the 18th until the 24th of April this year, 2021, is Canadian infertility awareness week. So it's kind of fortuitous. That you guys were able to talk to me now. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Well, I mean, I love it, but also I hate that it's a thing. Well, yeah. And it's it's been a thing in in my life and it's been a thing in a lot of people's lives that we know. So it's great that we can hear your experience and you can share with us. Yeah. Infertility is a thing for Mm -hmm. 5.5 million Canadians. Wow. My God, that's too many. It's 16% of the population. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That makes sense, honestly. Yeah. And I remember, so I met you, God, how long ago did I meet you? Seven years. Wow. So I met you seven years ago. We connected over dogs and you had no kids. (laughs) Um, kids. And then as we kind of like had a little friendship, you started telling me that you guys were trying to conceive and were having issues. And that's kind of like, uh, it's been... Well, I don't want to say it's been a privilege to watch your journey and be, you know, part of it, but I wish you hadn't gone through it. But Well, it's probably been eye-opening, too, like, yeah. as somebody on the outside to see kind of the, the struggle on the path, right? And you've done some really cool things as a result of it. Like, you've started a few cool initiatives, and yeah. Yeah, I feel like when you first got to know me, we had probably already been trying for a year or two. So we were pretty new to the journey and hadn't done anything really crazy yet like we were mostly still trying naturally I think we were waiting to get into a fertility clinic Mm. but we weren't doing anything invasive yet Um, yeah and I didn't know that we were going to go all the way to IVF um and that it would eventually take us seven years to complete our family and come to the place where we are now where we are stepping away from family building yeah and we're we're pretty done with it now, um, but it's been a really long journey and a really long process. And I mm-hmm. think that, um, like you said, though, a lot of really interesting and good things have come to me through my experience of infertility. Um, and I feel like this is kind of the point of the podcast, right? Is like, I didn't sign up for infertility. I didn't want this to happen to me. I didn't want yeah. to struggle. And yet it's kind of made me into like who I am and where I am today would not have been possible without that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you've really become like an advocate and a warrior. You've done some really, really cool things. Well, why don't we kind of like dive right in? Why don't you start by uh, introducing yourself, say like who you are, what you do, kind of dive right into your story. Sure. So my name is Kaylee McDonald and right now I am 35, but I was diagnosed with infertility. Well, I was diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve. Uh, which is what makes me infertile. It means that I have less eggs in my ovaries than I should have for a given age that I was. Um, And that the eggs that I do have are really, really good at playing hard to get. 
So, so even like when they're in the room, they're at a mixer and they're mingling with the sperm. They're just like not really sure that they want to go home with anybody. So. They are independent. Yeah, they don't need no sperm. Eggs. They're not into it. So I was diagnosed at 28. I was pretty surprised because I have like I was really fit at the time. Um, I was really healthy, eating really well. Um, and I was just, I, it had never occurred to me that my eggs would maybe be a problem because you always think of that. Like usually people say, oh, once you're done, like past 30, you should worry about your eggs. But I wasn't 30 mm-hmm. yet. And so I remember being really shocked and kind of blindsided. Yep. Um, and we tried some different medications at the beginning. Uh, we tried a medication called Clomid, which um, it causes, it's supposed to cause your ovaries to super ovulate. So you ovulate more than one egg. So you have a higher percentage chance of one of those working out. Um, Clomid is the type of drug that Kate plus eight was on when she conceived the, what is it, mm-hmm. the quintuplets or however many babies she had all at oh, once. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so she wasn't on IVF. A lot of people think that she was on like a ovarian stimulating medicine that they did along with an IUI where they like inseminate you but they don't take your eggs out. They just hope that it works inside. Um, So I was put on those kinds of meds. And instead of having like seven eggs released and fertilized, I never, ever managed to produce more than one. Like I said, um, yeah, my my ovaries just don't want to give it up. They don't want to give me nice, juicy eggs. Um, So we moved on (laughs) from that. We moved on from that pretty quickly um, and eventually wound up having to do IVF. I think that was in year three or four of our journey. So we'd been trying for a long time at that point. Um, and that was right before I start, right. I started my blog. That's right. Right before we were going to do IVF. So I started a blog on my journey called unpregnant chicken, which was uh, a takeoff of a pregnancy blog that there is and still is. So there's pregnant chicken, which is a pregnancy journal and blog. And it's really, uh, it's Canadian. She's amazing. Her name is Amy. She lives in Toronto. And it's gotten a humongous thing now. It's like a platform, a pregnancy platform. Um, But I wanted to be like the anti-pregnant chicken, not because I'm different than her, but that I'm the same as her, except I didn't get pregnant. And so I called it unpregnant chicken. I'm I'm just now connecting that that's you. Oh, hi. (laughs) (laughs) I I have seen that. I've seen those posts for years. And That's yeah, I guess guy. I didn't realize that that was you. Yeah. Pleasure, That's too funny. Pleasure to meet you, Buck Buck. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hello. So yeah, so I ran my blog for uh, four years. Um, and I did it, I started it because infertility feels so lonely. So when I was going through treatment, I knew one other person in my circle, and I'm very extroverted. So I have a fairly large social circle. But I only had one friend personally who was dealing with infertility. And so I could talk to her about certain things, but you just feel so alone and mm-hmm. you feel really upset. And like, especially at that time, we were almost 30 um, and like everybody was getting married and having babies and I couldn't like trip down the street without hitting a pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just needed a place to kind of vent my frustrations. So I started blogging um, mostly because I'm a writer. My, <laughs> my husband had told me I was crying on the couch. He's like, why don't you write a book? And I laughed. I was like, nobody wants to read a book from me. I'm not a like celebrity. It doesn't really matter. And he's like, well, like you never know. I'm like, yeah, honey, I'm going to write a, a book, a no-name book 
by this person that nobody cares about. Better yet, I could start a blog. Because at that time, like, I mean, now we have blogging has like almost had its day already. And now we have like Instagram instead. But before then, there was nothing. This is like just at the rise of blogging. Um, And it wasn't really, it was like on my radar as something ridiculous that people did. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I made a joke at his expense. Um, (laughs) And then I kind of went on my way. I dried my tears and we did another cycle and it failed as well. And I was really upset. But that idea of like, maybe if instead of screaming into my pillow, if I could scream into the void (laughs) of the internet, Mm -hmm. maybe that would really help. Um, And so I kind of just dove in and it exploded. (laughs) Um, And I ended up getting a whole new career. And now, now I do social media management and marketing for companies, but that all kind of came at me as a, a byproduct of this blog. And I was mm-hmm. connected with so many amazing infertility warriors, both women and men who um, have gone on to do so many amazing things in the space and help people. Um, and it's been a real privilege to be able to be like in that little group of people who were brave enough to put their story out there for the world to see. Um, I found it so cathartic. I think that's, um, I've struggled with um, infertility myself. I mean, I have five children, but I did have um, five miscarriages and, or five, sorry, three. I think it's so good that you were sharing that stuff and everyone was sharing what it really feels like because I remember too also feeling lost, but then also having thoughts that, you felt like you couldn't share because um, maybe they were, I don't know, just, just being upset that everyone maybe could get pregnant except for you. And, and these thoughts that would go on in your head that you're like, I shouldn't think this way, but I do, you know, and, and it, it would be, it's nice to find a community where you can kind of feel like you're not alone in, in those, in those thoughts. Absolutely. I think that two things from that, it's really important. I like that you say, you know, you've struggled with infertility too, but I have, I mean, I have five kids is what you said, but Mm -hmm. I think it's so important for people who are listening to this podcast and might be struggling with infertility and are really upset and hurting that you can never tell another person's story. And so seeing you, Michelle, out and about with your five kids might be a trigger for some other people, but they don't know Mm -hmm. that that's a thing that you understand and that you've fought to get there. Um, absolutely. And so I think that's a really important thing to remind people of is to always have compassion when you see like, and it's fine for you to be angry. If I see you out with your five kids, be like, why can't I have five kids? That's also valid, but to not forget that everybody's story is so different. And a lot of people don't feel comfortable sharing if they have struggled with infertility, um, or have had to, you know, go alternative routes to building their family. If maybe not infertility, but if they've chosen adoption or if they are maybe Mm -hmm. like a same sex couple who is, we would call that like social fertility challenges where Mm. all of your parts might work, but you're missing an ingredient. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. And so I think that there are so many stories that not everybody's willing to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just so good to have grace, not with just other people, but with yourself too. Cause like, I remember, I remember thinking about this one time when my friend invited me to a baby shower and I was so upset. I didn't go and that's okay, but you mm-hmm. feel like a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so having like a community of people, I was, I found Twitter really helpful then. Um, and I would say probably right now, Instagram is the most, um, supportive community, um, mm-hmm. that you can get into. But for at my time, it was Twitter. And I would go on Twitter and I would like 
like scream into the void about how I can't stand going to another um, pregnancy announcement or another um, mm. baby shower. And everybody understood. And so like, I couldn't necessarily say that to my friends, not that I wanted to. Um, it would make them feel bad, but I could talk to people who got it. And that was so helpful. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And I thought even like from my perspective as somebody who doesn't want kids and so hasn't had that struggle, like your blog was phenomenal in sort of like making it, I don't know what the right word is. It was like an approachable topic to me. I still felt like I could connect with it just through like sort of the humor you used mm -hmm. and I don't know, it gave me an interesting perspective without being all, I don't say all like doom and gloom, but like you were really funny about it. And I like that you used a sense of humor as one of your coping strategies, because that is my coping strategy <laughs> with trauma. Um, but yeah, like I remember one of your blog posts was about like, you know, listening to everybody's advice, like, oh, have you had sex upside, upside down? Have you tried doing it on a full moon? Have you tried putting, I don't know, like baby shoes on the bedpost of the, I don't know, you had a whole bunch of funny examples. <laughs> and it was so funny because it was, it was still something that like I could connect with. Mm -hmm. through humor even though it wasn't something that I specifically related to mm -hmm. totally well that used to be like the tagline on my blog it was um unpregnant chicken coping with infertility one hearty laugh at a time um because I feel like sometimes when life hands you lemons and you can't you, you have to make lemonade you can't really deal with it um yeah the only way to cope for me is to find the places that are, you know, something that you can laugh at. And it, sometimes it was that it was so comical, the things that happened. And other times it's like that dark satirical humor where you're like just furiously mm -hmm. angry, but there's like an undercurrent and that makes it funny. Um, and so I tried really hard to lean into that. So I'm glad that that's you- That's like where I live. <laughs> yes. I think yeah. that that's an important part of when you're grieving is finding a way to like, live through your life even though you're still grieving and I think a lot of the times the humor was really crucial for me and so in your journey so at what point did you guys make the decision to go for IVF because you guys did the IUI and the Clomid and the next step then would have been IVF yeah well we did two IUIs and we were supposed to go for a third but IUI actually has a fairly low chance of working it's not as high oh. of a chance as IVF, especially if the issue isn't male factor. So if you have oh, interesting. Um, issues in the sperm, like the motility or the count or whatever, um, then an IUI can be really helpful and will increase those, those chances of conceiving. But for people like me, where it's the egg, it doesn't really help me at all. And so right. um, yeah. IVF was our next best bet. And I... I was a horrible human being when I was on Clomid. I was, <laughs> I was so mad. I was so, so angry. I can remember vividly being in an argument with a family member and just like viscerally imagining stabbing them in the eye with a fork. Oh <laughs> my God. I mean, like I did, yeah. but it was like, I couldn't believe how furious and angry of a person I was like just hormonally, it was not good for me. And uh -huh, so uh -huh. we made the decision after two rounds that we would not do that again, you know, to avoid forks and eyes. <laughs> um, yes. And we decided to go on with uh, IVF. And so I think that we were almost four years in, I was documenting everything on my blog there. And so like, if you're somebody who is in the run up to an IVF cycle or is currently doing IVF, um, and you want to feel like you have somebody that's going through it with you. I have my whole cycle documented, like in a lot of detail on my blog. Um, oh, awesome. 
And so I think that like, I was pretty ready for it at that point, but it was still such a big leap. Like it's a big jump to be like, okay, I'm going to, I hate needles, stab myself Mm -hmm. in the abdomen twice a day for two weeks. And then like have somebody take my eggs outside of my body and start Mm -hmm. growing them in the lab. Like it was kind of intense. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's a little intense, but we were ready and we really desperately wanted kids. We knew that it was going to be kind of a Hail Mary because my eggs weren't responding very well to all of the other drugs that I had been on. Um, And I did end up needing like a lot of the medication. Um, I was at like the max dose and we did it for two weeks. And so you, when you're stimulating your ovaries with these meds, um, there's like, um, like a low end and a high end of what they could give you. And there, we were at the top end of that. And usually you will stimulate yourself for seven to 12 days. And I think I went 13. Like I, we just tried to, oh, wow. to grow as much as we could because they weren't responding very well. And I remember yeah. being really, really worried um, that it wasn't going to work and we'd be out all this money because it's not covered in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. And being so worried that we were going to be out all this money and not have a kid. Um, and I can remember like researching egg banks in the States because that was maybe going to be our next step if this didn't work. Um, so when we did the retrieval, most people, when they have gone through IVF, get between like... I would say 15 to 40 eggs is like pretty normal. 40 being the high end, 15 being like good. You want to be, I think between like 15 and 20 is considered the best place to be for that. Yeah. Uh, And we got eight. Oh (laughs) God. And so I had like two weeks of stabbing myself with needles and being hormonal and everything. And we only got eight. Mm -hmm. Um, So at Mm -hmm. that point, we opted to use something called uh, ICSI, intercytoplasmosic uh, sperm injection. And so th- what they Is do- that where they like bonk it on the head? <laughs> yeah. So- yeah, I remember how. <laughs> <laughs> like they literally, so they put the sperm in, um, in a centrifuge and they, they wash them and they spin them and they pick out all the good ones. Um, and that's what they would do for IVF or IUI. They like separate out all the good sperm and make it really super concentrated. Um, uh-huh. and then if they're just doing traditional IVF, they dump that washed sperm into the Petri dish with your eggs and they just let it happen. They like give right. them a mixer, right? Like in the Petri dish. Um, <laughs> For a little party, right? like, set the mood. Circulate the martinis, a little bit of smooth mm-hmm. jazz. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with ICSI, they put one egg in one container and they sort through the sperm and they pick whatever one they think looks good. And then they have to immobilize it in order to suck it up into the, um, the syringe. And so what they do is they bonk it on the head, which stuns it. I'm not kidding. Oh it stuns it for gosh. a minute. And so for a second, it stops with its little tail swimming. It just like gets stunned for a second. They suck it up into the, um, they suck it up into the needle. And then they use like a special pipette where they hold the egg still in the Petri dish. And then they use the needle to inject that sperm directly inside of the egg. So they're like, my God, that's insane. Isn't that nuts? Like the things that science science is amazing. Um, Yeah. But so the reason we chose to do that is because we were concerned that if we waited and let everybody have a mixer, because we knew my eggs were a little hard to get. We didn't want there to be no fertilization, which could have happened. 
Yeah. So we opted to have them physically fertilize all of them to give them the best chance. And so we yeah. had seven that were mature enough to be fertilized and all seven took and started dividing. Um, and usually there's a pretty high attrition rate, which means they like stop dividing and they die off as you go along the days. The goal is to make it to a day five embryo because then they become something called a blastocyst. Um, and if you can get that far, then there's a higher chance that it's going to work. And so I was very, very lucky. We had four that all made it to day five and they were really, um, they were all really high quality at that point. And so they chose the highest quality one to transfer back into my uterus. Um, and I remember that was such an amazing moment because like until this point, we had no idea. We weren't sure. What if you do IVF and like your stuff doesn't play nicely together and nothing fertilizes and that happens. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so the idea that we had these like four little, we call them M babies, like embryo babies, M babies. Yeah. Um, so we had all these M babies and we were so excited because they were all like a fairly good um, status. Like they were, they were in good shape. And so they show you when they're doing the transfer, um, they have to, okay, can I be a little graphic? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when they're transferring the embryo back in, there's no guarantee that it's going to work, but they have like an ultrasound on your belly and you can see the catheter get threaded into your uterus. Like they go in through, oh. your, they go in through your cervix, but you can see like the line of the catheter show up on the ultrasound when it's in the right spot. Wow. And then when they push the like injection thing to shoot the embryo out, you can actually see now you can't see the embryo because it's microscopic, but you can uh -huh. see like the little blob of fluid and it shoots out and it looks like a little pearl or like a little spot of light. Oh, wow. And it's so cool. And usually yeah. they take, they usually take a picture of it. So you can take it home, this like little pearl sitting in your uterus. <laughs> and it's really nifty. And at the exact moment, Carling, at the exact moment that they clicked the picture, I laughed because of course I did. <laughs> because of course I did. And so I was yeah. home with this jiggly picture of you can't tell anything. <laughs> oh my God. But we were very, That's very lucky. Funny. We were very lucky um, in that I got pregnant from that transfer. Um, and that's how people end up with multiples, right? Because they put in a few. One. So it's actually fairly uncommon for you to get multiples out of IVF. They try really oh. hard. So usually if you wind up with multiples, it's from an IUI or if you're having timed intercourse and you're taking ovarian stimulating medicine. Um, oh, okay. So with IVF, they usually transfer one. The only time that they would transfer two is if they were like, a set. remember how I said you have to get to day five for the transfer? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's say along the way to day five on day two or day three, the embryo isn't doing very well. They want to get it back inside of your body kind of as quickly as possible because it has the best chance of, of surviving and becoming a, a baby in there. And so they'll transfer right. early. And if you're transferring early, they might transfer too because, um, mm. because you don't have a very good chance. Like your chance is low transferring early. Mm -hmm. And so they try to up your odds by transferring too. Now, sometimes right. they both work and you wind up with twins. Um, right. But it's actually less common to wind up with multiples from IVF as, other, as it is from other 
fertility treatment. You were saying that all seven of them looked healthy. So what was the deciding factor on the one that they chose? Well, so we started out with seven. At the end, we only had four. The other three okay. had died. Um, they picked the best one. So the one that they transferred that was my son uh, was already expanding and starting to hatch, which means that it's breaking through its little shell. And that's how it burrows into your uterus and, and like starts okay. forming the placenta and stuff. So it was already starting mm -hmm. to hatch and it had really good symmetry on the cell shapes on the outside of the egg and the cell shapes on the cluster on the inside of the egg. And so mm -hmm. they could tell by how symmetrical it was and that there wasn't a lot of fragmentation, that it would be, it was like a good looking embryo. Um, the other two were, so this one was a day five uh, BA, which means that there was some, some fragmentation on the outside, which becomes the placenta, but no fragmentation on the inside, which is the baby. Um, and my right. next one was uh, AB, I think, which means that the baby part was slightly fragmented, but still good high quality. Um, and the last one that, that we saved was um, not fully expanded into a blastocyst yet. It was still the stage before that. So it was a little bit slower to develop. So oh, okay. we froze the other three, they're still frozen. And they would still consider all of those really high quality, but they picked whatever was the best one at that moment and transferred it. That's so interesting. Isn't it crazy? I have a picture of that, em of that embryo. And every year on the day that they transferred the embryo back, I take a picture of my son holding it because it's his first. Oh, that's so cool. It's his first baby picture. That's him as an embryo. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. That's like the only perk from having to do IVF is you have a picture of your kid as an embryo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And do you, were you guys sort of thinking like one and done, this was it, it was such a journey getting there? We had kind of always thought that we would only want one kid. Uh, this is before we started trying. And so like, yep, at that point I was like, yep, yeah, I'm probably only going to want one. We froze the other ones because you never know if it's even going to take. And so yeah. we're like, well. If this IVF doesn't work out, then at least we'll have three that are frozen for future tries. But at that point, I thought we only wanted one kid. <laughs> yeah. And then when my son was like a year, maybe 13 months, and he um, were at the store, and I watched this, these two little girls run past me playing together, and they were like four and six. And it was like instantaneous. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I need another baby. <laughs> and so we started trying funny. again. Um, and so then I thought I only wanted two. Um, and we tried for a whole other year. And we're lucky to conceive my daughter right as we were gearing up for a frozen transfer. So she isn't one of the frozen embryos. She was, um, oh. they would call her a golden egg because it was kind of like a <gasps> fluke. <laughs> Wow, that's um, so interesting. Yeah, well, I was on this um, drug to turn my ovaries off so that we could do the frozen transfer the next month. Um, okay. And I was waiting and waiting for my period so that we could start that cycle. And it never came and it never came. And sometimes the, the drug that I was taking to turn off your ovaries, it can delay your period. And I was sure that was what was happening. I can't tell you how many pregnancy tests I've taken in my life, but I wasn't even thinking about it. 
I would never take a pregnancy test in the afternoon. I always did it with like my first morning pee. I would like pee in a cup, very specifically dip it for exactly five seconds. Like don't breathe on it as you lay it down. Like I was always really like hyper vigilant about how I took my test. And I was so sure that I wasn't pregnant and that it was just that the thing had delayed my cycle that when I was a week late, I peed in the afternoon. I didn't even look at it as I put it down. <laughs> I like walked away. I was playing with my kid. I think I put on Daniel Tiger for him and he was sitting there watching the show. And I was so sure that my, my period was just late and I was angry because I wanted to go on a drug to start my period so we could get the cycle going. Um, yeah. But they need you to take a pregnancy test before they'll give you that, of course. And so I was so furious. And I remember like going back in and kind of glancing at the test, fully expecting it to be a stark negative. And there were like two huge dark lines. And I was like, oh my goodness, what? And so one, I was excited, (laughs) but two, I was terrified because I was on this really heavy duty drug. And I was like, oh God, what is that going to mean? Like, so I called the, the clinic, my fertility clinic and asked the nurse and I was like, what do I do? And she was like, well, you know, like you just start taking your pregnancy support drugs like you would have if you had had the the frozen transfer and you just go along. And I was like, this is crazy. And she was like, congratulations. She's like, it actually happens um, like one or two times a year. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what? So what they figure happens in these instances is that the drug that turns off your ovaries, um, it does that by making your ovaries overproduce the hormone first and then they get kind of freaked out and they're like whoa there's too much hormone shut everything down <laughs> um, but sometimes that like massive dose dose of hormones that happens at the beginning can cause you to ovulate more than one egg which i guess is what happened with me and then we just got lucky wow is that nuts and- yeah. <laughs> That is yeah. nuts. It really is. So I only because wanted think one. of everything you had to go through the first time, right? Well, and I had been trying unsuccessfully for a year yeah. before that. Like yeah. we tried again and still had no no luck. Um, so it was totally yeah. crazy. But so, sorry, I kind of got uh, sidetracked. So I only wanted one. And then I just wanted two. And I think it was yeah. like the day my daughter was born. I was like, oh, darn. No, I'm going to need another one. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. So I, like, eventually wanted three, um, but three was not in the cards for us. Um, yeah. We started trying for a third last year. Um, sorry, I might actually get emotional about this, which is crazy. Oh, that's okay. Because I don't usually get emotional about this anymore, but I might try. <laughs> um So we decided we wanted to have another baby pretty quickly after my daughter was born. Um, And it's not that I wasn't happy with having, um, I mean, God, I was lucky. I had two kids. They were both healthy. I had a boy and a girl. Like, what wasn't I happy with, right? Yeah. Um, But I just didn't feel done. I felt like there was still, like, more love to give. There was room for another little person in our family. And when I would picture our um, table, when the kids are like teenagers, I always picture three. And so I knew that I wanted to try for a third, but I knew that because it had been so hard um, that that may not happen, but I wanted to try. And so we started trying last, um, I guess just before last year, it would have been in 2019, we started trying. Um, And I got pregnant actually pretty quickly. I would say maybe after five months of trying, which for us is like that I've never gotten pregnant quickly. I've never gotten pregnant easily. And so we were kind of surprised. Um, But I'd never had a miscarriage. So once we got pregnant, like it had been at this point, like 
five years into our journey of trying and I've never, I had never lost a, a pregnancy. And so I just assumed that if I got pregnant, it would be fine and we would have a third baby. And so I got pregnant. Um, I got the test on Christmas Eve, uh, 2019. And it felt like all of the things that you like imagine, right? Where you're like, oh my God, it's Christmas. It's a beautiful Christmas present. We had just yeah. made these cute little salt, um, salt dough snowmen uh, with my kiddo's handprints for a Christmas tree. And I was like, maybe I'd put like a little star in the corner and nobody knows that that's the baby except for me, right? Uh, but the test was really, really light. Um, and so I was a little nervous and so I didn't do it. But every time I look at that ornament, I think about that because I almost put a star on it, but I didn't do it. Um, yeah. And then I tested every day and it never got darker, but it was, now we're talking, it's um, Christmas time, right? So it's between Christmas and New Year's where nobody, like the doctors are closed. Um, we were pretty busy. There was a lot going on. Um, and so I just wasn't able to get in for like to have my levels tested until yeah. when did I actually have it done? I guess a week and a half later. And so I would have been like four or five weeks pregnant. And they were like, your level is really super low, like less than five. And so I was like, wow. okay, like that's not a good sign. At this point, it should be like over around 200 for sure. Um, oh, wow. So I was like, oh, that's not a good sign. This is probably not going to stick. Um, but I stayed pregnant until I was right around six weeks. And I started my miscarriage on <laughs> January 1st of 2020. Oh, what a way to kick off that year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. So I was very, that was actually a really hard loss for me because I had never lost a baby before. Um, and I, had, I was just so sure. And I knew I was pregnant. Like that was because I'd been pregnant twice. And like, I knew I was pregnant before I could test. Like I felt pregnant. I knew I was pregnant. Yeah. And so to feel like I knew it for like over a month, and then to have it not work out was just so weird and awful. Yeah. yeah. And of course it's the holidays. And so you're all emotional about everything anyways. <sighs> yeah. yeah. And so <sighs> we did end up continuing to try and I lost two more pregnancies really super early, like right around when I would have yeah. had a period. Um, I, yeah. I would test positive and then get my period on time. So if we hadn't been trying, I don't know that I would have even known that those two were the next two were miscarriages, but, right, um, yeah. but because we were trying, I did know. Um, and so our last miscarriage was I think in March. So it was like almost back to back to back. Yeah. Um, but that's right at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Right. Oh God. And so at that point we we're like, okay, we obviously don't want to try naturally anymore because something has obviously changed and now I'm just having miscarriages. So we would like to go back to our clinic and we do have those three frozen, um, but then everything shut down for coronavirus. Um, and then everything that kind of happened in the next little while, we were like, you know what? Like, I don't want to continue trying naturally because I don't think I can handle another miscarriage. Um, yeah. And then everything that's going on worldwide, I don't think that we should pursue further fertility treatments. And so we just ended up um, deciding that we were, we were happy with our family and that like, we're so lucky. We have two kiddos who are healthy. Um, we have a boy, we have a girl. 
Like there's really nothing more that we need out of our family. Um, yeah. But how, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, I still picture three, three kids at the table. And yeah. so I don't yeah. really know. Like, I know that that's no longer in the cards for us. I don't want to keep trying. Um, and yeah. so I don't mm-hmm. think that there will be three kids at the table. But it's hard because that was something that became so real to me. And to have to yeah. like yeah. look at it and be like, well, that's not the way your life is going to work out is a little hard. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had kind of the same um, feeling. I remember, so I had my son and then after my son, I had a miscarriage. Oh, sorry. And I was quite like, I was 18 weeks. So at that point, oh God, I'm sorry. you pass that 12 week mark and you're like, okay, everything's fine. Right. So it, it it's such a shock when we were going to the doctor to find out the gender and found out that the baby had passed. So um, that was... I mean, that was just insane, right? The whole process. And then we got pregnant with um, our daughter. And then after her, I had two more miscarriages, kind of similar, one in February, one in May. So pretty close together. But I had always kind of had that feeling too, when I had my kids with me, I always felt like I was missing one. Mm -hmm. You know, like I always felt like there was another one like sleeping, like having a nap, right? Yeah. So I always was that thought of like, oh, there's... Like, you know, when you're counting the heads and you're miss, you feel like you're missing one, like that was always the, the feeling. Um, and even after I had my third, I still had that feeling. And then I had twins. <laughs> and I was like, the universe was like, okay, like, stop. <laughs> stop enough, feeling baby. that. But, yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting kind of. Yeah, what I think you... that it's an interesting yeah. feeling. It is. It is. And I know a lot of people can relate to that. I mean. I had, I, obviously it's, it's so hard. Like when you picture yourself with a certain amount of kids or we always wanted a large family and then we had three losses and I remember someone saying like, you might just have to get used to the idea of this being your family. And I'm like, I know. And and that's hard. Right. But there does come a point where you're like, maybe this is it. Right. Well, it's kind of like a a byproduct of our, like our, like our society. Right. Where if you yeah. want something, you just work until you get it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. And like, I come from a fairly privileged upbringing, you know, like I'm a white, cis seeming woman. Uh, and yeah. so I feel like, yeah, I feel like everything was always the story. The line was, if you work hard and do a really good yeah. job, like you get what you want. And so it's really hard to like wrap your head around the idea that like you can want something and wanting it doesn't always make it so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do? What did you find that was helpful to you when you were um, going through your infertility journey um, before you had your children and also after um, having your miscarriages? What did you find helpful during that time? Honestly, just being able to talk to other people who got it. That has been such a saving grace. So at the beginning, I had like my blog family, all these other bloggers who were starting up right around the same time as me. Um, and you kind of like leave comments on their blogs um, and you're following their journey. They're following yours. I have a few people who added me really early on in my blogging career to like my, my actual Facebook page, not like my unpregnant chicken fa- Facebook page, but my Kaylee Facebook yeah. page. Um, yeah. Shout out to Renuka. Hey girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, like Renuka was one of my blog followers who added me. I think I'd only been blogging like, I don't know, four months in. And then we wound up having our first kids very close together like I think they were a few weeks apart we were pregnant together um and then 
the second time I got pregnant earlier and she got pregnant and miscarried and then she had another kid. Um, and so like, we've been, like, I sent her all of my pee sticks when I was um, having my first miscarriage. I'm like, is it getting darker? What's happening? Like, <laughs> um, and so like, it's good to have those people um, mm-hmm. to kind of bounce things around with. That's really, really helped. And so the other thing that I ended up doing later on, a little bit further in, was uh, joining and uh, volunteering for this organization called Fertility Matters. Uh, It used to be called uh, IAC, which was the Infertility Awareness Association of Canada. Um, But (laughs) but it's a mouthful, and so they've rebranded it. It It's the same organization. Um, They're now Fertility Matters Canada. And they are the only national charity who helps to increase awareness and support for people going through fertility challenges. And that means people with infertility, people who are LGBTQIA2S plus identified, and people who are um, anything in between. If somebody wants to be a single parent by choice, choosing to use a donor or a surrogate, things like that, where it's kind of the support place for all of those people who are building their family in maybe uh, non-traditional ways. So I do think that it's been my involvement with Fertility Matters as a volunteer, but even just like being on their pages, so like on their website or their Facebook page or their Instagram, like all of those things gave me a lot of comfort. Um, And I know that it gives people a lot of comfort too. It's so important to have support. And what kind of advice do you give to people who like, so for me, for example, I don't want kids. I don't really get it on the same level, but what are the best ways that like I can support my friends going through infertility? Oh, good question. So I have a twofold answer. So if you're somebody who does want children or has experienced infertility, the best way to support other people is to be open about your experience because it's a really lonely experience and seeing other people sharing like, like we we're talking about it's uh, Canadian Infertility Awareness Week this week. And so if you can share on your story or your Facebook profile uh, that you have had a loss or that you are struggling to get pregnant, you will be shocked at how many people come out of the woodwork to support you and to also say that they've been there. And so I think that that's step one is just being vocal. But also for people who don't want kids or are not wrapped up in the fertility sphere at all, like we were saying before, 16% of the population is dealing with fertility challenges. And so that's going to be somebody you know, somebody on your Facebook, your person next to you in the office, the mom at the playground. Like there are so many people that you're around every day. And so just being um, a good listener. So if somebody chooses to share with you that they're trying, please don't say, have you tried X? My friend did it and got (laughs) pregnant. Please don't say all you need to do is stop worrying. Oh my God, please. If we could just remove one thing, please stop telling people not to worry. (laughs) Yeah. Of course they're worrying. It's a really all consuming thing. And you saying not to worry really just invalidates it. And like not worrying. I mean, I was the most worried that I've ever been on my IVF cycle and I got pregnant then. So like, yeah, yeah. worry is not always the issue, but all it does is make that person not want to open up to you. And so really all you have to do is say, wow, that's really hard. I'm so sorry you're going through that. And just Mm -hmm. shut up. No, I think that's what's great though. Like I've really learned the value of just holding space for people. Yes. And I think I always wanted to sort of have advice and say, the right thing and probably 10 years ago I would have been like well just stop worrying about it or you know but I think there's just something in holding the space and saying oh that's really hard yeah totally like 
I think this is true really for all grief. So anytime somebody has experienced a loss of any kind, whether that's like a loss of their dreams, a loss of a person, a loss of a baby, you can't really say anything to make it better. Like as much as you so badly want to do that, you want to make it better. But the things that you say to make it better, all it does is invalidates their experience. And the best thing you can say is, I'm so sorry this happened to you. That sounds, that sounds really hard. And that just gives them space to be like, you know what? It is hard. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have people say like, why don't you just adopt? Oh my God. I have had, I can't even tell. So seven years, Carling, that's how long I tried to have babies. Okay. Yeah. In seven years, you would be shocked the things that I've heard. Like I've heard really well-meaning stuff, like just take a vacation and stop worrying about it. Um, I've heard things like you need to go get the specific type of abdominal massage and like womb painting done on your body. Um, which, hey, if it works for you, more power to you. But like, don't tell me what yeah. to do. Um, but also I've yeah. had like really insensitive, gross things said to me at a wedding once with a bunch of friends. One of them cracked a joke that it would only take one night with me and I'd be pregnant. Like, <gasps> I know, right? That gasp. Oh, it's awful. So cringy. And I really like this person and they're not at all. But like, there's, yeah. there's just no like verbiage around this in the collective consciousness and people say stupid things like the first thing that pops into their head I had a family member I'm not going to tell you which family member but I had a family member who um told me that I just had to get drunk and have sex on the kitchen table and we're talking like an elderly family member it was disgusting (laughs) (laughs) we said at the beginning like this journey like you did not sign up for there have been so many hard things about it, but it's kind of also opened a lot of doors. So you mm-hmm. talked about your sort of getting to work with um, Infertility Canada. Did I say no. that right? Is that what Fertility it's called? Matters Fertility Matters Canada. Oh. Matters. <laughs> hold on, hold on. For- At Fertility underscore Canada. <laughs> okay, perfect. Check it right. out. You will get lots of help there. Go there. Run. Don't walk. Oh, awesome. Oh right <laughs> um, but you also um, were inspired then to write a book. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Because I love it. <laughs> I'm glad that you like it. Um, so I ended up writing a children's book. So I said when I first started the blog, um, I did it because I am a writer. And I mean that like in my soul, I'm a writer. I'm constantly working on manuscripts for lots of different things. And I have lots of book ideas. And maybe one day I'll be such an accomplished author and you'll know my name when you're listening to this <laughs> um, <laughs> but I Definitely. do feel right like what well, everybody has a yeah. dream <laughs> yeah. and so I think um when I was after I'd had my son um I was nursing him one night and I was sitting there thinking about and there's a lot of books out there about like um, IVF babies or if you were born from an egg donor or a sperm donor or a surrogate Uh, There are a lot of books out there because it's um, generally acknowledged in scientific literature by psychologists, by people in the industry, that it is the most helpful for a child who was conceived differently than, you know, just getting drunk with a bottle of Merlot one night. Um, (laughs) For kids that are conceived in different ways with more help from science and other people, that it's very helpful for them to know that kind of right away. And so there's this big movement to like, having picture books for your baby about how they were conceived or if they came through adoption, things like that. And I remember I had ordered a few of them 
and I had been like browsing through them. He was very little at this stage, so I hadn't been reading them to him yet, but kind of preparing myself for those conversations and not really being happy with the kinds of books that were out there. I didn't find that they were inclusive enough. So they were usually like just white characters. Um, there was usually no mention of more than one type of conception. So like if you were an IVF baby, you got an IVF baby book. If you were an adoption baby, you got an adoption baby book. But I wanted something because like at this point I had been active on my blog for like five and a half years. And I really wanted to have something that all of the people that I knew who had created their families in beautiful but very varied ways could all use the same book to talk about how beautiful it is to create a family in this day and age. And there wasn't really anything for that. So I wrote this picture book called Extra, um, which talks about all of the extra ways that families are created. And so it's this little boy, Lucas, who is, he sees a pregnant lady in the grocery store and he asks his mommy how the baby was made. And she says, you know, the age old thing of like, you have an egg and a sperm and they have to meet and then you grow a baby in the mummy's belly and the baby is born. And then she says, you know, like, except for you, that wasn't how you were created. And some babies need extra. At which point she's uh. distracted. And he, in his little baby kiddo brain, starts thinking of what all the things that it could mean to be extra <laughs> instead of like just talking about what the things are, right? So he ends yeah. up thinking that it means he's a superhero and that he's going to end up having extra powers. Um, <laughs> and so he's like all excited and he's pretending to be a superhero and his mom kind of figures out the mistake and it's like, oh, honey, like, no, like not like you'll have superpowers, but like here are some of the ways that different families are built. So um, one of them is specifically uh, a lesbian couple and it talks about sperm donation. And I was hoping that that could be used also for you know, a gay couple to talk about egg donation from that page. There's one where there's, it's either a surrogate or an adoption on that page. And so you could use it for that. And then there's one where it talks about IVF, um, where you put the egg and the sperm together. And that like, there are so many ways for families to be created that might take extra. Um, and not to give it away, but at the end, they realize that they really are all superheroes, these families that have Aww. had to go through extra to get their babies. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, like, thank you. I thought it was pretty cute. <laughs> it's very, it's very cute, and it's a, per, it's a really good message. Yeah, and so um, I did end up publishing that book and sending it out into the great wide open. For, when was that? 2018, I think. Maybe 2000. Yeah, 2018. Um, and for a really long time, at least uh, on can in Canadian markets, it was like in the top 100 for fertility books for I think the first two years. Um, so like for a self-published book from a person that nobody knew my name or cared about, like I said earlier, <laughs> I thought it was pretty yeah. good. And I feel I've gotten some really good responses from people where they've really been helped on their journey, um, explaining it to their children um, and find that it's a really like supportive book for trying to make it seem like, you know, it was a good thing to be extra. What are some of, what are some of the best places for people to get support if they're experiencing infertility in any of those aspects? So the first thing to do is um, find yourself a support network. Um, if that means that you have, you reach out to people in your, your local sphere, 
Um, there are usually like local face-to-face, -face, well, in non-COVID times, face-to-face. -face. Now they're mostly on Zoom, um, but like actual fertility support groups um, in most major cities. So some of them are run by Fertility Matters and some of them are unaffiliated. But if you go to fertilitymatters.ca, there's like a list if you type in your province of like local support groups. Also, like I said, like uh, Fertility Matters Instagram is pretty good. Um, they're on on Instagram, if you just look up like hashtag infertility or hashtag male factor infertility, hashtag PCOS, hashtag um, LGBTQ family building, like whatever your specific fertility challenge is, if you look up those hashtags, there are a lot of, there's a lot of activity right now on Instagram. It's really good. Um, I would also say to check out blogs, like now it's kind of like blogs are seen as almost kind of passe, but there are a lot of people that are blogging about infertility. Um, a really exceptional blog that's kind of turned into a whole platform is especially for um, uh, the black community and other people of color. Uh, it's called the broken brown egg. And I think it's .org now. Um, she's an ex she's an exceptional blogger. She has a great blog on there, and she has all kinds of really good resources. She's based out of the U.S., but I still find her really, really relevant. Um, I mean, obviously, plug for Unpregnant Chicken, but yes. Um, but also, my blog hasn't been updated for two years now, and so if you're looking for more current, there are more current out there. Um, if you're Catholic or Christian, which I'm not, but if you are. Waiting for Baby Bird is really, really good one. She's a blogger. She's like got an entire ministry that she runs for infertile couples that are like seen in a Catholic sense. Like there are so many out there. There's so much online to get you support. Um, yeah. Also, don't wait. So let's say you've been trying. I know people who have like were trying and trying and trying and trying and it's been two years, three years, nothing's happening please go get tested, please. Um, yeah. Because sometimes there's an underlying thing that can be really easy to fix, but you're not mm -hmm. going to get pregnant if you don't fix it. And so the longer you wait for testing, the more time you're kind of letting slip through your fingers. I, rem yeah. I remember when I was first starting um, getting tested and everything like that, um, I was only 26 when I started looking into testing. And my doctor just kept saying, you're so young, just keep trying, don't worry about it yet. Um, and I'm really glad that I pushed for testing because my eggs were already depleted and it didn't really matter that I was chronologically young. So if you've right, been trying yeah. for more than a year, so more than 12 months, if you're under the age of 30, and if you've been trying for more than six months, if you're over the age of 30, please go and get tested. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, I think that the, the last thing I want to say um, is because it's Canadian Infertility Awareness Week and the theme this year is hear us and the hashtag is hashtag hear us speak out. And so uh, I know that as an organization, Fertility Matters is always trying to be supportive of people talking about their stories, but there's a little bit more of a, uh, like a support push during this week where we try to encourage people to say on social media or around the family dinner table or wherever you may be on the phone with your friend to tell people what you're going through with your fertility challenges so that you can get the support that is out there. And that if you really don't feel comfortable um, publicly announcing it like that, 
that you can always DM um, like the Fertility Matters account. You can DM my personal account. Um, and I would be happy to, I know I would be happy and I know that the people who run the Fertility Matters um, backend would be happy to support anybody who's on their journey and struggling. Um, I absolutely know what it feels like. I have been there. I have gone through all of the testing, all of the procedures. There's very little that I didn't have intimate access to on my seven year journey. And there are so many people out there who are the same. And so I think that when you open up and you reach out for support, you're going to be surprised by how much you get back. And that can make the journey so much more tolerable. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Perfect. That's amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. We're so excited that uh, we get to, we could be part of this and help spread awareness to something that so many people have experienced. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for giving me this platform because we didn't sign up for it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. definitely not. My gosh. Well, we'll let you get back to your day before your baby wakes up from her nap. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. Okay, okay bye. bye. Thank you. Bye. Michelle. Hello. Um, that was such a great episode. I know. It was so wonderful yeah. that she shared with us. And I mean, all that stuff is so like vulnerable and yeah. um, difficult. So I'm just very happy that she shared. And as we've learned doing so many episodes that even uh, if you only reach one person yeah. with your message, it's worth it. Um, and I wanted I think to say some this... cute thing like a small ripple will change the world. It felt like I needed to like have an inspirational quote there, but no, I don't think it is. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much to Kaylee for sharing with us and, yeah. and check out all those resources that she mentioned and mm -hmm. the ones that are in our show notes. Yeah. And, and yeah, as always, if you like what you're listening to, us like if you like this podcast leave us a review on anywhere that you get podcasts um but we always check our apple ones because that's sort of the algorithm that we yeah try to aim for and we're trying to grow this is our second year so share us i can't believe friend. we've already been doing this for a year i know it's so fun we're pros we, mm -hmm. well we're something we are something <laughs> um what else check out our patreon check out our patreon we have over 28 bonus episodes for as little as five dollars a month mm -hmm. so i was gonna say they're ad free but so far they're all ad free but one day <laughs> these will not be ad free and those will be there so you go check us out and we're also on instagram we've got a facebook group a facebook page yes and what else we got merch we have merch today uh, i overdid it with the merch i decided you did you were wearing your i did not sign up for this beanie your i did not sign up for this hoodie took off the hoodie <laughs> what are you wearing underneath and i did not sign up for this t-shirt <laughs> like it's so comfy <laughs> it's very it is comfy. my sunday best i know this is what i wear on sundays i love it it's perfect it's so cozy while I'm gone, I'm going to also try to design some more stickers. Oh. I have this, just this feeling that I want to make some more stickers. Okay, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. What I can I hope create. it sticks. Uh, I hope it sticks too. Yeah. So you guys, <laughs> enjoy your day. Enjoy your week. Don't forget to check out that Hope Anchors YYC and Fertility Canada. Yes. So have a great week. All right. Okay, bye. Bye.